0: Hey everybody, welcome to Ask Dr. Jessica, the podcast where I interview experts with a goal to help you worry less about parenting. I'm your host and pediatrician, Dr. Jessica Hochman. On this week's episode, I am joined by a pediatric ENT, Dr. Matthew Brigger, and we will discuss a popular newborn procedure called a frenulotomy. It's also known as a tongue tie release, and this involves cutting that short piece of skin underneath the tongue. In the past 20 years, the number of newborns receiving this procedure has doubled at the very least. As a pediatrician, I know that many newborns are born naturally with tongue ties and they cause no harm. So I often wonder if we are getting the balance right. I wanna make sure that we doctors are supporting a mother's breastfeeding efforts, but also that we are not performing unnecessary procedures. Thankfully, we have Dr. Brigger here today to share his thoughts. Dr. Brigger has a very impressive resume. He is currently the division chief of pediatric ENT at Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego. He also served as a pediatric ENT in the Navy. He received his master's in public health at Harvard and he has authored over 70 peer-reviewed studies. And as a quick reminder, if you are enjoying this podcast, I would be so appreciative if you would leave a five-star review, and even better, share it with a friend who may benefit from hearing this conversation. Hi, Dr. Brigger, welcome to the podcast.
1: That's great to be here.
0: So tell me, you're a pediatric ENT. Can you give the audience a general sense of what you do during the week? What does your job entail?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so my job, is I'm a pediatric otolaryngologist, which means that after med school and residency, I did a residency in otolaryngology, so ENT, and then ultimately went on to go do just a subspecialization in pediatrics. So then within that world, I actually have another, I get a little bit more subspecialized even from there. And so for my practice, what we've sort of built over time is a practice that's primarily focused on uh, breathing, swallowing, and feeding. And that's really what my practice is. And as part of that, they, we built a aerodigestive program here down at Rady Children's Hospital, which is the whole program, the concept there is to have a multidisciplinary approach towards uh, towards these children who are particularly complex in nature. So as such, you can imagine I do see a lot of kids with uh, with tongue tie and how that may play into this whole thing. And I'm happy to be here and talk a little bit more about it.
0: So can you describe, so I wanted to talk with you about tongue tie or ankyloglossia, the, med- the fancy medical term for it. Can you describe what it is exactly? Because I know a lot of us have it. We've had it our whole lives. And a lot of, there's a lot of confusion about when it needs to be addressed with a doctor and when it can be left alone. So can you just explain what a tongue tie is exactly?
1: Absolutely. I think and, you know we can even reel this back a little bit in terms of thinking altogether, Because really when it comes down to tongue tie is the focus, and that's sort of the name that has gotten passed around. And there's a lot of history to sort of why it's tongue tie. Because that has sort of been like where it started. But there really there, there's the concern that there are multiple different places that we can have these ties per se. So let me just throw out there to begin with. And I firmly believe that this is all normal anatomy we're talking about. There's no deformities here. There's no structurally abnormal things. The tongue, tongue tie refers to the frenulum, which is basically the connection, the fibrous band that goes from your tongue to the floor of your mouth. We all have it. The dog has it. It's, it's just part of who we are. And so what really what it comes down to, when we start talking about when do we do something about it, has to do, is it causing sort of pathologic sort of issues? And even that dichotomy of pathologic, meaning something that's bad, I'm not sure that's necessarily something bad. It's just that it is a spectrum. And I think it's really important here as we kind of discuss tongue tie, lip tie, whatever it is we want to talk about as we go through, when it comes to this concept, this is a spectrum. And that's what is one of the things that probably makes this really a difficult topic in general.
0: So I, I bring this up because, you know, I'm, I'm such a proponent of breastfeeding. And I know that, you know, I, from my own experience, breastfeeding is, is difficult, especially in those beginning couple of weeks. And I think where I struggle is a lot of moms that I'll meet in the hospital, um, they'll be having difficulty breastfeeding. And then someone will say to them, it must be a tongue tie. The tongue tie must be the problem. And to be honest, I've heard this so much more in the last, I want to say five, seven years, Um, And then when you talk to pediatricians that have been working for 20, 30, 40 years, this was never really brought to so much attention. So I'm just trying to figure out what's happening here? Like, what do you think? What do you think the answer is? Are we really having breastfeeding difficulties that have we been missing tongue ties for many years? Or what's what's happening?
1: Yeah, So I think that, so there's nothing different in the babies. The babies are still being born with the same normal anatomy that exists. It's just variations on that anatomy. I think it's really the increased recognition. And there are a lot of things that are like in medicine and even just within my own world that have sort of analogies to tongue tie. What has been really interesting about this whole tongue tie ankyloglossia talk is sort of how it has sort of exploded over time. And I can get on sort of from a, just a standpoint, if we look at any graph you look at any sort of publication talks about incidents it says ramping up ramping up but we all feel it and so back when i was in training way back when we did, like wasn't even a thing like I don't, I don't think i even learned how to do it when i was a resident not that it's like anything particularly difficult but it's something that we learn over time but really i think the place where when you step back and look it's always been there. There's always been some way of dealing with it. The reality is, is, and I'm sure you've heard the stories about how midwives used to keep one fingernail long. And that fingernail was made for the sweep. And they would do that for people struggling to breathe, like to to feed. And it's just kind of a known thing. Now, in today's medical legal area, you can't just start ripping kids' tongues. Like, that's just not going to happen. But that is sort of like the history of, like, the first synonymies I knew of were because of the long fingernail on the midwives. Like, that's how I came to understand it. And so what we saw is that there was... There's always a, the ones that are really tight. Well, maybe this may be helping. But really, I think the place the reason why we're seeing so much of an explosion, and this is truly, I think, the first thing at least I experienced in medicine, where social media has played such a big role in sort of the changing of it. And I think it's we as physicians probably sort of missed the boat on this. Um, when Facebook, or I think it was MySpace and my day, whatever it was called back then as it started sort of rolling out, I sort of looked the other way. Um, and the reality is, is, People ran with this. And it really, that's how information started to trans- transmit. And I think it's really a good example of the first sort of medical thing that, at least within our world, that has sort of just taken off and sort of taken a life of its own. And when you look at it, when you think about tongue tie and phrenotomies as these things, it's actually, it's ideal. It is ideal to sort of take off. And whether I don't want to say misinformation, but it just, information being available that might make it a little rosy. Because at the end of the day, we're dealing with an incredibly difficult problem. Feeding your baby. Not only is it a difficult problem, when your baby doesn't feed, you feel it in your heart. You feel it all around. This is so emotionally charged. And to have somebody standing around in a white coat up in some ivory tower saying, you know, you should never do this, that, that doesn't resonate with people. Number two is releasing a tongue Doing a tongue type procedure, it's really, it's very low risk. In general, this carries low risk. Honestly, anyone can do this. Like, this is not rocket science. It's, and when it comes to that, so then, like, you've got a low risk thing that you have a low risk procedure for a potentially common problem that carries a lot of weight to it and a lot of emotion. So when that kind of plays through, that's perfect to sort of run with in terms of social media. So, well, my kid had this and got better, and... You'll do anything. You know, we will do anything for our, to get our kids. And particularly as breastfeeding has sort of reestablished itself as the preferred modality is completely ripe. And by the time really science got around to even trying to assess this, the cow's out of the bag. And we've been sort of kind of chasing after it for quite some time.
0: That's really interesting. You bring up so many good points. I, I remember going to a lecture, a pediatric conference on this topic. And the lecture was saying how all of a sudden there was nothing on Facebook about, about tongue ties. And now all of a sudden there were like 65,000 members uh, mm-hmm. discussing tongue ties. And I think you're right, social media definitely, uh, you was know, ahead of the curve. Um, but I guess my, my question is, how do we know when we're doing too many and how do we know when it's just right? You know, do you have any guidance for parents that are listening? Yeah. What should they look for when, when it is a good time to do this low risk procedure?
1: Yeah, so I think yeah, we're still trying to find our steady state. I firmly believe we are doing too many as a as a population, as a community, as a whole. And this is, as you as you well know, this is very regional. So you can be in some parts of the country and nobody gets their tongues, tongue released. You can be in other parts where everybody does, or seemingly so. And so I think trying to find that balance, I think as a parent, it's really hard to sort of navigate that. And that's where you have to have sort of the expertise. And that's where I think that it's incumbent upon us to... Make sure that the children have gone through the adequate evaluation, and we thought about adequate evaluation. It's by having a lactation uh, lactation consultant and having that lactation help that really sort of focuses on feeding and thinks of sort of these surgical procedures as ad, an adjunct or perhaps even even one of the not necessarily last resort, but is kind of is one of the things that we don't necessarily jump to. And I think far too often, in this day and age, we're looking for sort of the easy fix and we all sure we all want an easy fix but feeding is hard breastfeeding is very difficult and you know and i say that as, as somebody who's never breastfed but having and i bring sort of this different sort of look at it and you know and i can you know my partners i just like as we look at it it's like what do i have to say anything i know anatomy i don't know about breastfeeding and that's what i defer to our lactation consultants really to understand like if you think it's like and you know there's plenty of data out there to show how many kids suffer from poor positioning where it's a little bit of positioning and this fixes it but and i do worry that as time goes on we're training another generation of lactation consultants where phrenomy is first and foremost that's the first thing you do and so then we are also training pediatricians to say hey first thing go get the tongue clip and then we'll work on this because we do know there are some kids like once you clip it it just kind of runs with it right. and so it's really hard i think as a parent i think you need to have comfort with your lactation consultant you need to have comfort with your pediatrician and finding that right balance
0: Well, I think that's just it. I think because the truth of it is, you know, as you mentioned, when you're when you're a new parent, all you want to do is feed your baby. I mean, that's such a natural instinct. Your baby's born, and you want to feed your baby. And then I think nature plays this cruel trick where your milk doesn't really come in for seventy-two hours or so. And you know, breastfeeding is difficult. It's uncommon, I think, for breastfeeding to be easy from the get-go. And tongue tie, to me, I, I think there's definitely value in recognizing it, but I also think it can seem like this easy fix for something that is just inherently, unfortunately, difficult. Um, and so I, I part of me just wonders if we were more supportive of new moms and breastfeeding, if we would see, uh, you know, rather than immediately talk about the procedure, if we would talk about ways to help with breastfeeding, talking to lactation, I wonder if we would see fewer of the procedures requested.
1: I think we would. And I think you actually bring up a very good point. And I think of this as a puzzle, and I use this analogy quite often. Breastfeeding is a puzzle, and the problem is is everyone's dealt with a different number of pieces. Some puzzles have a 1,000 pieces. Some puzzles have four pieces, and breastfeeding, and the frenotomy, and how the frenum plays into it, is one piece of a puzzle. We just don't know how many pieces are to it. And so you bring up a really good point, though, about the education piece, and there's a paper out of New Zealand uh, several years ago where they basically took their phrenotomy rate, which they found in one specific area, was like 10%. So that's a very high rate of phrenotomies being done for the, for these children. And what they did was they did a concerted educational program to pediatricians, to parents, to lactations, like, where they brought this concerted program and they dropped it down to somewhere around like 2% or something like that. And they made a significant change because of the education. And I think you're absolutely right. And I think, unfortunately, some of the pressures of how we practice medicine today don't allow us to have that time and those constraints that I would say it's our challenge as uh, as providers to be able to kind of push back and say, no, this is this is the right thing for our patients. It's a great point. Can, can you
0: explain what a phrenotomy is exactly? Can you describe to the listener what what that procedure is like?
1: Absolutely. And so there's a variety of different ways to go about it. But essentially, at the end of the day, what we do is we place a little groove director. So basically what this is, it's like it's a retractor. It looks like almost like a set of Mickey Mouse ears. And what it does, is it lifts up the tongue and it basically allows a little groove for the frenulum to go in between. And by lifting up the tongue, then it exposes, gives us a nice, beautiful view. Things that we have to keep in mind from an anatomic standpoint. And this is me putting on my pediatric otolaryngologist, surgeon of the mouth sort of uh, approach is there are some important structures there which are very rarely injured but can be devastatingly when they get injured becomes a very difficult problem to manage. That includes where the salivary ducts come through. And then also if you were to get and as those come through if you get scarring down over those that can lead to sort of a lifetime of having to deal with uh, salivary gland issues. So basically what we do is we lift up the tongue then we clamp the tongue and we typically at that point we'll cut it. So me I'm a surgeon. That's what I do. I spend my entire day using scissors, using knives. So so it's very natural for me to use scissors to make that incision. Some people uh, opt to use a laser. Now, I do use a laser in my practice all the time. I use it for places that it's difficult to get to. And there's a movement amongst some to use these lasers in this area, which I don't know that it provides a whole lot of benefit. And unfortunately... given where i live in the system and sort of a tertiary you know quaternary care sort of area i get to see or i guess i have the privilege to see when things go awry including lasers that have caused severe burns had children have to have be intubated i've actually seen a children actually receive a tracheostomy from having undergone a basically a tongue type procedure that went awry and so lasers tend to be like while they tend to be they are safe in general they do add a put an added degree of risk i just in my hands, don't feel that as necessary because I don't have to introduce any collateral sort of damage per se, which is what the laser does, it heats up the area around. Regardless of whether it's a cold laser, uh, a baby-friendly laser, whatever sort of names you have for it, at the end of the day, it's still using heat and heating area around where the friend So you're more in favor of just
0: clipping? Just clipping. (laughs) Okay, okay. Um, Have you ever seen a patient bleed from clipping? Absolutely. You know, uncontrollably?
1: Absolutely. To to a worrisome amount? Okay. So once again, as a a surgeon, all bleeding stops, we will make all bleeding stop one way or another. And so and we certainly have seen kids who have had to be transferred to us who they could not stop at an outside office. Now, with sort of the armamentarium that I have, I have other things at my disposal. And so I'm able to go down and basically clip the vessel. I'm not sure that using a CO2 laser or using any type of laser is going to prevent that as much as good technique. Sort of as you proceed, each of the ones I've seen that are, uh, we had blood, that were just basically they went too far, and I think, and that's always the hard part, is knowing when to stop. So if you find
0: an experienced provider, it sounds like it should be a very low risk procedure.
1: Should be a low risk procedure.
0: Okay. Okay. I don't want to, anyone who's opting to get the procedure, I don't want to scare them too much. Yeah. No, not
1: at all. Like, <laughs> okay. like I say, I live in the scenario where I see, I, I see it all. Now, the reality is I, the vast majority of kids who have I never see them and they do wonderfully. And so, Think of it as being, it just, you wanna make sure that when you're thinking this through that you remember there are these sort of outliers. But in general, it's a super safe procedure and it provides great benefit for a lot of children. It's just trying to be thoughtful. And that's really, I think the biggest thing I wanna do is being thoughtful about how we approach it.
0: I agree with that, the art of medicine.
1: It absolutely is.
0: And not everything's so black and white. The, if only with
1: all A, B, C, or D, right?
0: Right. That's right. Right. The, the medical, these,
1: the... these babies aren't reading our books. I can tell you that.
0: <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good, very good way of saying it. Now, what about the upper lip ties? So that's also been um, gaining popularity in addition to clipping you know, underneath the tongue, um, above the tongue, sort of above the top teeth. Um, that layer of skin has also been known to be uh, encouraged to cu- be cut by some. So what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so so the actual data that's out there on that, if you think that the data for ankylogloss, for the tongue, is, is shaky, you get to the data of lip and it's even more shaky as to what it actually means. Now, I can tell you from experience over time, I, there was a time in my life when I was not so sure and I did not release a whole lot. There are certainly kids who can absolutely benefit from it, no question about it. And these tend to be the kids who you can reproducibly see you cannot get their lip to flare. And that's typically and i do rely on the lactation consultants to help us sort of direct that um i would say the vast majority of kids do not need that clipped um, but it is something that we always kind of keep is i think it is in the realm of can it benefit absolutely but once again it requires sort of that good thought process and i always try to um, impart upon you know, whoever it is that i may be training that whenever we're doing surgeries whenever we're doing procedures we need to know what it is we're trying to fix. And so in, for these things, it's what are we trying to do? Is it, so it's not just, well, we can't breastfeed, it's why, why can't we breastfeed? What are we trying to do? Are we trying to get a deeper latch? Are we trying to get a more efficient latch? How, where are we losing it?
0: Right, is, is milk transferring well? I usually feel like, even if you want one sign that I look for, is the baby able to transfer milk well? So can the, can the baby, you know, latch on? And, and do we see that the baby gains weight after after nursing, do we hear a good suck and swallow? And those are all really good signs that, despite seeing a tongue tie, the baby should be okay.
1: I always use the uh, the sort of analogy that how many people we've seen, how many people I've seen as it back when you know, as I was training in the adult ENT world, where they have these horrible tongue ties and they do just fine, and they are public speakers. And I was in the military <laughs> where, as there's one particular person I remember. This guy was one of the most like prominent public speakers, and he had severe tongue tie, but people can work around it. And I think it's the same thing all the way down to the, uh, breastfeeding. There are some, some kids who can figure it out, and some kids just can't.
0: Yes, yes. I think, if I may sound a little cynical here, um, my concern with the upper lip tie, because from my experience, when the upper lip is uh, phalanged or or um, when it's when it's brought up for breastfeeding, I worry that actually, the upper lip will rub on the breast where it will cause pain for the baby because you now have an open sore where it, you know, where it's touching the breast. So I have a hard time understanding how that one anatomically is helpful to, to clip. Um, So the cynical part of me, and so forgive me for saying this, um, you know, I think it's an easy, part of me wonders if it's an easy procedure to bill for, right? So if you're in there and you clip the lower lip and you can make a good amount of, money for that and then you can quickly do the upper lip for not much added time and you make i don't know double there's a piece of me that wonders if we brought reimbursements down for that procedure would as many be recommended or done i don't know if you have any thoughts on that
1: i think that i love that can of worms because that is a great can of worms because (laughs) i can tell you as you know from our standpoint where we kind of see this like Within our within our region, there are numerous, like over the over the years, numerous clinics that have popped up specifically doing this. And you like to be able to think that, you know, there's but yet yeah, that everyone's doing this for the baby's at best interest. But unfortunately, much of medicine has sort of has, has built in this way that is it's fee for service, which is a which is has competing competing objectives, you might say. And I think and you're absolutely astute to kind of like plug into that, where that could be a concern. And I think, you know, we also see some places where they actually, I mean, to the point where I've even seen places that offer discounts based on how many you have done, which to me, like, that hurts my heart even just to see it. And so for me, I believe it exists in a system that doesn't necessarily favor sort of one over the other, like, which is, which works out a little bit better, I think, for us. But there are certainly places where the financial incentive is outweighs the additional procedures.
0: It's malaligned. Absolutely. Yes. No, I... Um... I think and I'll tell parents before it, a lot of times I'll talk to parents, and I know they have the meeting with um, you know whoever it is, like the ENT or whoever's going to perform the procedure for the tongue tie, and I'll yep. tell them ahead of time, um, just so you know if we're going to do the lower t- lower lip, try not to do the upper lip because the evidence really isn't there that it needs to be done. Yep. And so they'll they'll say, okay, and they'll listen to me. And then when they get to the doctor's office and then I see them later, they'll say oh we ended up doing both they said we were too embarrassed when the doctor recommended it we didn't feel we felt embarrassed to go against his recommendation
1: yeah you know and i think so, and that that's like represents a real struggle so i'll tell you personally like i I pretty much always recommend doing the tongue without the lower lip. I'd say it's a very small percentage and generally it's a very directed sort of thing. And I'll tell you quite honestly, just from a standpoint of the, the procedure, while they're both fairly easy, the tongue, the upper lip is the one that t- can bleed a little bit more. And so it can just be more of a, just kind of bogs things down, as you might say. But I think that, you really when you can imagine like from a standpoint of a parent, I think it's really hard for them to speak. When they go to see the specialist who knows all this and is going to make these recommendations, it's very hard when the incentives are malaligned like that. So I right. 100% agree. And I would encourage, once again, I think that any time a parent, like a parent should be able to feel like they can ask the questions what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. And any provider who's not willing to, <clears throat> to be able to give that description and be able to say it in a co- coherent manner, then I would have my reservations about letting that person operate on my child.
0: That sounds about right. I, I agree with that. It's so much as who you trust, right? Building trust with providers. Absolutely. Are there any key signs that you look for? Um, any any position of the tie or any um, any phrases that parents will say to you that make you more inclined to want to uh, clip the tongue tie?
1: Yeah. So I think when I'm looking at it, like, the generally for, for me, like, trying to understand, like, is I take the objective data first. So I'm always kind of looking at sort of, are they gaining weight and is it more just is it more than them just say oh we're just not getting weight or it's really hard i do also look at sort of like the time like how long is it taking to feed like is this just consuming your entire day because you know by the time you get through a feed so those are things that i'm always sort of like very cognizant of and then again the problem is you get into like all these sounds and once again as somebody who has never breastfeed i don't know they all seem to click you know i think there's some of this that sort of kind of goes through which i think people are like well you hear the click you hear the click you hear the click and I'm not sure that that really makes a whole lot of sort of sort of sense as we kind of kind of think it through, and right. so really yeah. I try to make it bring into sort of the shared decision making as we go together. You can imagine sometimes though it's like, as you know, as ENT surgeons we kind of get in this position where by the time they arrive you know the boat has sailed like they're getting their tongue clipped. Like, no matter right. what we say, we're not talking anybody out of it. And right. so we've actually been experimenting and exploring actually having a lactation consultant in our office and being able to do sort of a, doing this together. And we are fortunate that we have a couple of speech pathologists who work with us very closely who do dysphagia, so it's true swallowing abnormalities, and, and they, who are actually also lactation consultants, which brings an additive sort of benefit to it. This is so helpful,
0: and it sounds like you are really balanced, a balanced physician.
1: I try to be. Honest.
0: I love that term shared decision making because I completely agree with that. You know, so many things are, I think, best for the families if you present information and we're not as physicians so hard headed about our decision. We work with the family and share in that decision.
1: So and I say to them all the time, I'm a surgeon. I make decisions. I do it. That's I make a decision. And I have to live with it every day. Like that's what I do all day, every day. Yes. I don't have a hard time making decisions. But the reality is, is like, my decisions are based on just sort of what I see. And so if we can bring this all together, because it's, once again, it's at your heartstrings. This is such an emotional subject that has no clear right answer. If there was one clear right answer, we'd all do the same thing every time.
0: I think mean, that's exactly right. I, you know, I work, um, with my dad. My dad is a pediatrician. We've worked together for the last, you know, over a decade and he's been, a, been a pediatrician now for over 40 years. And this, um, tongue tie procedure boggles his mind because he said, you know, I've been practicing medicine for 30 something years and all of a sudden uh, it was never an issue before. And now all of a sudden everybody's getting their tongue tie clipped. Um, And as you say, it's, it's, it's a minor low risk procedure, but you know, one just has to wonder, um, yeah, did, did we miss the boat? Are we overdoing it? Maybe somewhere in between Um, or, or just, or do moms just need more breastfeeding support?
1: Yeah, so I think that, I think your, your dad's totally on this. And it's like, like, like there this are isn't Darwinian.
0: These,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think we are clearly like, like there are definitely kids who it absolutely helps. But I mean, there's certainly times when we see phrenotomy is being done because it's like, well, I don't know. And in fact, one of our, uh, one of our lactation consultants actually refers to the, the HMF, the, the, so the, the Hail Mary phrenotomy. Like, we got nothing left. Let's try it. We're going to lose breastfeeding. So it's time for the HMF. And so, Which is kind of like, it's a little bit sad, I think, in some ways. It's like, that's truly like, we don't know what we're really treating. And that's not how I like to practice, not how I like to think about it as we go through. And so the reality is, like, my practice does focus on a lot of more complex children that have a lot of other sort of issues. And so I sort of get sort of like some of those overflows sort of as it comes through. But I think as we step back, we have to wonder, do we really need to be doing this to all these babies? And Right. Like, I have the perspective of having seen some, uh, some bad outcomes, but the reality is the vast majority do not, which is, once again, why it's easy for people to say, oh, just go get your tongue tight clipped, and to be able to set up sort of these different uh, places that might be a little bit more, I don't know, pushy is the word, but very incentivized to move forward with it.
0: I think you're right, though. At the Hail Mary term, I like that because I do notice, you know, if, if uh, mom has pain with, you know, severe nipple pain or the baby's not gaining weight and you know, the baby's falling asleep at the breast and we just really have nothing left and we can't figure it out, um, it is sort of a Hail Mary uh, suggestion. Maybe this will work, who knows? And, and sometimes it does. Yeah. But sometimes it does
1: That's exactly, doesn't. and there's, I've never done a Hail Mary phrenotomy that mom didn't know that that's what it's called. <laughs> so, shared decision making.
0: And then one last question about evidence for this procedure. Some people also ask about speech. Um, they wonder if getting the procedure done will help with uh, speech articulation in the future. Is there evidence
1: to support this? So the problem is that that is a little bit of a very hard to study, but it's a crystal ball sort of question. I think in as much as I've looked all around for crystal balls, I still haven't found one. And when we go to it, it's very hard to study. There's no good, because nobody's going to randomize two and then uh, two sets of patients that, in, that are somewhat similar. And then Hey, we're not gonna do it. We're not gonna do it. and Then see where they end up. So, are there plenty of stories of kids who, you know, who get the tongue tie procedure released for speech? Yes. Now, is it anywhere near the number like it released for breastfeeding? Absolutely not. Like absolutely not. And so, I think that you know, clearly there's a there's a dichotomy there. I don't think that I think there are some kids who may it may potentially benefit. However, like I said. I have known so many adults who have, what would you, we would consider to be type one, like the tightest tongue tie you imagine, who are completely eloquent. And so that is something where I think that decision, uh, it, it gets made with a speech therapist when they're older. And the way that I always kind of present this to families is I actually do a much different procedure. Like the procedure I do to release for speech issues is actually a little bit more involved and it involves kind of just re- recreating a tongue fold through there. Um, it does involve sutures. I do do it. And I think that it's one of these things that does tend to do when, when they're a little bit older, you have a little bit more leeway and you can do a little bit, I think a better procedure.
0: Thank you so much. Any, is there anything else that you want to add? Any, I think we've covered a lot of ground. You answered so many wonderful questions.
1: Yeah. I think my parting, sort of just as we sort of think about it and sort of like bringing it all home is that it to realize, you know, it kind of goes back to that thing that we all know is, you know, nothing in life is free. Nothing in life is easy. And, you, and, you know, it's a thought that you put through it, and it's not a, a free ticket to anything. And I think it's, what I would say is that this can be very helpful, and really I think of it as, like, improving efficiency. And these—and sometimes we even talk about, it like, it's kind of like, you know, we're trying just to just a little bit of surgery to kind of move things along. As long as we can kind of all accept that, you know, whether or not you will get your phrenotomy is not the end of the world, and it's not going to change anything in the long term, regardless of sort of how, how we're working through. But if it's a way that we can be able to maintain breastfeeding, great. And I think that, you know, it is a parental decision that I think should be made. And just with sort of thinking about it all and not blindly just getting tongues clipped.
0: And that's really a nice summary that, right, if if parents are looking for something that might be helpful and it's very low risk, we should support them. But also providing proper education, I think, is really important.
1: The reason why so many people do it is because it can be such a useful adjunct but it's just, it's an adjunct and that's what it is. It's just a part, just a piece of that big puzzle.
0: Yes, and in in addition to this puzzle, I think when it's all over, I like to stress to families, moms will still need support with breastfeeding. We should still uh, recognize that they they can ask for help, reach out to lactation, their pediatrician, uh, family members, experienced friends, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Absolutely, great.
1: for the invitation. Thanks for letting me join you. Oh, it was really fun, you're great. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much
0: for tuning in to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. If you are enjoying this podcast, I would be so grateful if you would take the time to leave a five star review. We'll see you next Monday.